A broken plane, a broken dream, a broken heart, a broken team. No words said, a silent vow. We loved you then, we love you now. Yeah, beautifully put, Larry. Obviously, a very famous poem known amongst Manchester United fans on this most important day in Manchester United's calendar. I think forget trophies, forget anything. I think when you look back throughout Manchester United's history, the 6th of February, 6th of February is a very important date, um, close to all our hearts and forever will be, I think. So we're going to do something a little different um, and just, I think, we just remember what it is to be a Manchester United fan. As I said, the most important day in the club's history, in the club's calendar. So I think it's important to look back. We get so caught up in everything involving Manchester United, but I think when you strip everything back, remembering Munich and sort of the Busby Babes, it is why we all do support Manchester United. So we're going to sort of look at the eight players who passed away, um, just a little bit about them. So there's some interesting facts when you do your research. I was sort of going through my research and got this sort of famous paper. I think it was the 50th anniversary when they played Manchester City. The Manchester Evening News put out sort of some really good stuff um, at that time, which I've been sort of very blessed to get my hands on. And some of the stuff you read about these players, um, some fascinating, fascinating facts. So we'll go through some of those. Um, also, the survivors. Um, the survivors are a huge part of this. We do remember the people who did pass pass away, both players, staff, and members of the public, but also a huge part of the story and Manchester United are these people who survived. So we'll obviously touch on them as well and maybe not draw comparisons, but we'll look at little comparisons and draw things on how we can relate those who passed away, both in a football sense, life sense, a Manchester United sense, I think, because we'll, obviously the modern day is far different to um, back in 1958 but they're footballers for Manchester United. So we, we can draw similarities where we can. But obviously, we'll, we'll pretty much start into it. We'll get into the plays in a little bit, but obviously on the sort of the moment itself, we do remember obviously United were away in Belgrade playing in the European Cup and sort of making history. Obviously, United were the first English team to go and sort of venture into Europe. Um, the English game didn't really want that, but Sir Matt Busby and Manchester United knew that was the way forward. They wanted to test themselves against the best in Europe. So that is what United were away doing. Obviously, a 3-3 draw away in Belgrade and obviously again the English league did want them back to fulfill their league fixtures so United at the time sort of were a little bit rushed and sort of they did charter a flight back from Belgrade and it did obviously stop in Munich for refueling and uh, we all sadly know what did happen then after a couple of attempts of takeoff um, we do remember and obviously there was 23 fatalities um, obviously eight of those play eight were Manchester United players and obviously, twenty-one survivors. We don't know. Over, we definitely don't. When we're doing this, want to overlook anyone and sort of value. Okay, this person over that person. That's why we're talking about them. But it's a Manchester United podcast. We will focus on the Manchester United aspect of it. But obviously, when we're saying all these thoughts and prayers, obviously go out to everyone who was affected. It wasn't just Manchester United players. As I said, there were twenty-three fatalities. So we definitely don't want to disrespect anyone by overlooking them. But we will sort of focus on the Manchester United aspect of it. But Larry, before we get into the players. Just Munich. It is the 6th of February. It is a moment where everything goes out the window. Transfers, results, form, whatever we think of this player, that player. It almost goes out the window and you forget about the modern day and you just have to look back. Obviously, it was well before our time, but we still sort of invest ourselves so heavily in it. Yeah, for sure, Tom. And I think this is a, a really important moment for myself as a Manchester United fan. And like yourself, you've done the tour of uh, Old Trafford. And if you haven't had the opportunity to do it, Go put yourself in the museum. There's a dedicated section to Munich. Uh, there's a like a little platform for each player, um, and you can basically it's like putting yourself there. It's that there's like a, a background tape that's constantly on repeat. 
Um, it's it's a different vibe. It, it's a fitting tribute. They've obviously got the clock outside Old Trafford as well. Um, I, I think this is an important part of being a Manchester United fan. Well, not even think. It is the most important part. I think it's what separates Manchester United from other teams. And it's, look, obviously it is a tragedy, but I think it's, it's the thing that makes this club special. When we talk about bringing through youth players, this tragedy is a major part of that. Now, when you talk about um, the, the players who were part of this team, a lot of them youth players. Um, so Bobby Charlton, obviously a Manchester United youth product. And then you talk about what United did to get a, a team out later uh well following the tragedy against sheffield united um so th this is a really special part of manchester united's history if you you know if if you are a manchester united fan i highly recommend you do your research and if you go out old trafford one day uh, if you haven't already been go embrace the museum it, it's awesome it's wonderful to learn about and you'll really appreciate what makes this club so special I think in, in very true, and I, I think it's one of those things. I don't want to sort of value someone's support over someone else's support, but it's one of those things when I, I talk to a Manchester United fan for the first time, or even if it's I know this Manchester United fan and we've been talking for years, if they don't know about Munich, and obviously I, I don't know enough about Munich, I should be learning every single day about sort of different aspects of it, but if you don't have a sort of basic understanding of what happened or what it means, I don't want to say, okay, you're not a fan or not a true fan, et cetera, but it is something that I think is so important. If someone isn't going to put the time and sort of invest the time in it to go and back, look back, um, whether it just be the pay their respects or even actually learn about it and sort of football at the time and Manchester United at the time and the issues and sort of plays like that did face. I do, I thought, look, people are sort of very entitled to support Manchester United in any way they do want. However, I think the club that Manchester United is, as you do mention, it's such a vital part to be a true Manchester United fan, like it or not, and it definitely do like it. Obviously, we do respect it and do like the fact that we can go back and sort of remember, but you do have to go back. If you don't do it, in my opinion, you don't really get Manchester United. So I think it is such an important part, and it all, it's a necessity to go back and do your research and sort of remember. Absolutely. If we were going to bring it back to modern times, there's a famous game in 2007-2008 season. Manchester United wore the very plain red shirt, no emblem, no sponsors against Manchester City, which Manchester United actually lost that football game. And if you listen to a lot of the commentary coming out of that, Cristiano Ronaldo, the likes of Ryan Giggs, they all said that the emotion, the emotional build-up to that game got the better of them on the day. And it just shows you why it's so important. We've seen the likes of Bruno Fernandes, a player who we now all love and appreciate, talk about the history of Manchester United. I think it's also an important reminder of, you know, when you talk about not every player is fit to be a Manchester United player, it's the players as well. When we say, you know, a fan needs to really embrace the history of this club, the same goes for the players. And the ones who do it really, like I said, appreciate how special this club is. You make a great point there. And just the, the paper I did bring up earlier in regards to that 50th anniversary um, against Manchester City, <laughs> I remember we did, sort of, as you said, we did lose that match. But um, the emotion was unbelievable that day. We're on the other side of the world watching on TV and you could feel it goosebumps just watching the players walk out in that kit. And before we get into the players, I just want to touch, you, you just mentioned that in regards to that kit. Obviously, it's a different time now in terms of we're going to see, in terms of what Manchester United do this year for their tribute towards Munich. Obviously, they have their ceremony outside the ground. There was the one, the 60th anniversary a couple of years ago when Jose Mourinho was in charge. All the players were present inside the stadium and they had a big... Um, sort of ceremony with Sir Alex Ferguson 
had a few ex-players type there. So that was very special to see. But obviously that 50th anniversary one was extremely special. I understand there's complexities now with um, shirt sponsorships and everything that surrounds TV rights. I fully understand that. But can you give me a reason why Adidas and Manchester United or whoever the sponsor is don't do that every year for Munich? Obviously, Manchester United, the, the game this season is Middlesbrough in the FA Cup. The closest game, so that will be all, where all the tributes are paid. Surely, if, in my opinion, Manchester United should be wearing that kit the 6th of February or the, the game closest to the 6th of February every single season. Now, again, I do understand the complexities and the money involved, but even if they just market it, it's known as an Adidas shirt. Have Adidas printed inside the collar or something, they could still sell it and profits could go somewhere else. I just think they should do it. And it's not, I don't want to criticize Manchester United or sponsorships for not doing it, but it is something I really do want to, and it's, it won't happen. So I'm not sort of saying, no, it needs to happen. Obviously, it won't happen, but it's something I would really love to see because yeah. that game against Manchester City was beautiful. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, and I love the kit, <laughs> if yeah. nothing else. Um, it's it's clean, it's beautiful, and it, it just shows, you know, the heritage of this club. Um, look, I, I'm all for it. Even if they put the, you know, the, uh, the the classic Adidas emblem on the right, if Adidas really need to, you know, get their brand out there, I, I think it would be, you know, like I said, I, I wouldn't want it to be a marketing opportunity. But in saying that, I think it would be really important for the players to do it. I just think for the for the fans, I think it would really it would really capture the mood of the day and it would, would pay a nice tribute. But like you said, I won't be holding my breath, unfortunately, Tom. On the players there, in terms of well, I mentioned the 60th one where um, Jose Mourinho was manager and the players sat you know, in the East End for the ceremony. I understand now it's very difficult times and you just look at the celebrity around the players. Like could you imagine Cristiano Ronaldo sort of ten foot from fans? 10 feet from fans. I don't know how it would quite work. You'd definitely need security to be on top of it. Well, I assume 99% of people would be very respectful. Um, I understand these players are huge celebrities and you do need to be careful with them in public settings. But I think the club should do more in regards to these ceremonies and have the have the players be a visible presence um, at these tributes, not, not just put out a social media post, which is great. Feel free. But as we've discussed on this before, nine times out of 10, it's not the player using their social media. It's someone else tweeting for them or doing their Instagram. But I would really like to see a visible presence of all the players doing something like this, like showing up to Old Trafford for the ceremony or, or showing up outside Old Trafford. Or, or something visible at the training ground. Uh, like these posts, I understand in the modern era, maybe that's all they can do, but I would like to see the club and the players make more of an effort to visibly show their appreciation for Munich. Yeah, 100%. I would like to see that too. And I think it would be a, a really fitting tribute. If just annually, if you if they could get outside Old Trafford, where that clock is, if you did a ceremony there every year, I imagine that would bring massive fanfare. I think it'd be a great opportunity. You've got to think about the younger generation too, Tom. If you've got, you know, local Manchester man taking his kid out to the tribute and then you get the kids asking the questions, Dad, what's this about? And then that's how you start the education piece. I think it's a, it's in a really important part of United's history. I can't stress that enough. So like I said to open the video, if you if you don't know enough about Munich, Go educate yourself. There's lots of content out there on YouTube. Um, yeah, I think just embrace it. I think it's such an important part of the history of this club. No, definitely. But we'll quickly move on, not quickly, but we will move on to the players and the eight players who did pass away. And we'll just go through maybe a couple of minutes on each and just sort of one or two facts and a little bit about them. Obviously, the age they did pass. But we'll start off here. Um, obviously, the Manchester United captain, um, Man United captain at the time, Larry. Um, Roger Burns, so he was captain of Manchester United at the time. He died, obviously, on the 6th of February. He's 28 years old. 
um, three league titles. So, so we do look back at players now and we say, okay, he's what, what did this player achieve? Ryan Giggs, 13 league titles, or Paul Pogba's got no league titles. And we sort of value players on titles. Not many players win three Premier League titles, and obviously it was called the old first division at the time. But huge success for a Manchester United captain to win three league titles. So I, I think that's something that, sadly, all, a lot of these achievements are overlooked because they had quite short careers and it was so far back in history. But when you do look back at it, what a successful player. Yeah, one hundred percent. And again, it's just it's it's a tragedy when we go through these. You you talk about their age, twenty eight years of age. I, I'm on the verge of twenty. I, I, I think twenty eight was the oldest player. Yeah, like that's the thing. It's like I'm I'm nearly twenty eight. So like it just really hits home, you know. Like these guys had their whole lives ahead of them, but hell of an achievement. And I gotta say, the thing people don't appreciate when they look back in history, these guys were not playing on pretty football pitches. It, it was mud pitches most of the time. It, it was well, brutal you, you, stuff. You talk, you talk about having their life ahead of them. I think one of the things in terms of doing my research, the scary thing or the, the scary, sad thing that popped up with Roger Byrne, which I found, was that if he was to return um, from Munich, he was going to come home to the news that his wife was pregnant. And oh, I just man. think little things like that we just look at and we get, as we said, we get so invested in these in footballers and celebrities. These are people. Like he was going to come home. Apparently he didn't know that his wife was pregnant, but the news was um, that his wife had just fallen pregnant. And just think, you talk about life. Okay, he's 28, so he's a young guy. You can't get your head around that. Um, it's not baffling. It's just I, I can't get my head around that in terms of the impact that would have had for his friends and family. Yeah, and their unborn child. I mean... That child yeah. grew up fatherless, goes on to grow up fatherless. Like that's that's heartbreaking, you know. And like I said, it's just it's such a big tragedy. But um look, if we're focusing purely on the football side of things, to captain to three league titles, I think, you know, to go down as a Manchester United legend wouldn't wouldn't fall short for Roger Byrne. Yeah, well, well speaking of Roger Byrne, we'll go to the next player and just bring him up here, Jeff Bent. The interesting bit about Jeff Ben, obviously, he is 25 years. So, again, one of the older players who passed away. We'll get into some younger players in a little bit. But Jeff Ben, he only travelled, apparently, to Munich or, or to Belgrade for the match as injury cover for Roger Byrne because Roger Byrne, the captain at the time, had a bit of an injury doubt. So they brought um, Jeff Ben in who played the same position as cover. So it's, it's just one of those things how life, these little sort of twists of fate, like he, he really shouldn't have gone. If Roger Byrne was fit, he wouldn't have travelled. But he just travelled as cover, which you look at the size of squads um, Manchester United take. Now, if we've got a game away in Atletico Madrid in a couple of weeks, we're going to take 20 players, maybe 21, 22 players are going to travel in a squad. And just think not many of them are going to play. And Roger Byrne was going there very likely not to play. And ultimately, he paid the ultra, ultimate sacrifice, unfortunately. Yeah, another one of those tragedy stories. Um, but, you know, I think, was it this one, um, Tom, you, you sent through some notes earlier, um, would have been returning home to a five-month-old daughter. So, so a very similar case to Roger Byrne. Yeah, so yeah. almost very similar. Obviously, he had met his daughter here. He had sort of had that honour, but a very similar case. And just, I don't know, sad's not the word. Because okay, we're Tragic. talking about fo football players, and like, these are people, and what we've talked about sort of people uh, in regards to Manchester United and the off-field stuff at the moment, and sort of how important it is to do the right things by people. And players like this did have the, their life ahead of them. And yeah, what'd you say? A five-month-old daughter and Roger Byrne earlier didn't know that um, his wife was pregnant, and 
what we're talking about, what great footballers and what these players were achieving, what what, gone, what they could have achieved on the field in the future. Because by all reports, this team was set to sort of dominate Europe for the next five, ten years. And just think that is one thing. That's one thing we could have sort of looked back and be proud of and they could have been proud of achieving. But ultimately, it's the off-field stuff where it's, it's more sad. Like we can sit here and say, oh, it's a shame this didn't work out because they weren't able to fulfil their potential for whatever reason. Forget the football potential. Forget the football achievements. There's a two kids who have grown up without their fathers. Yeah, and unfortunately, as the as we go through these players, the stories just kind of get a little bit more tragic. But I think it's just, again, it's an important time just to remember why this is important. You know, someone, I can't remember who it was. It was the other day um, around the, the Mason Greenwood um, situation, but they, they made such an important point. And it was that you have to remember that these are footballers, but they're people first. And it was like, when you're going through these, you you really, that really just does hit home. It just, these happen to be people who played for Manchester United. They weren't Manchester United players first. And I think it's just so important to remember that, you know, in this, when we're getting caught up in the emotion of a football match, when you just are losing a football game, someone lost their dad that day. Someone lost their husband that day. So, yeah, I think just talking about it just, uh, yeah, really hits home a little bit. Well, we talk about in terms of Roger Byrne was so young at 28. Jeff Bent was so young at um, 25 years old. But I'll bring the next player up here, David Pegg. He was only 22 years old and he made his debut for Manchester United at 17. So we talk about now like sort of historic moments when a teenager comes on the field. Like Very often, if a teenager comes on the field for Manchester United, it's 18 years old or 19 or maybe even 20. A very rare occasion is it's going to be a 17-year-old. So you just have to look at... One, the, obviously, the club policy at the time to sort of promote him into the first team, but obviously he, he needed to have extreme ability to play for Manchester United at that age. So it's one of those players we do look at great players who will come through, whether it be the class of 92 or Marcus Rashford now. Um, but he goes into that category or would have gone into that category because I think he won two league titles and the little bit of reading that I did have um, of David Pegg was... Obviously, Sir Tom Finney was a Preston legend and England legend. He was tipped, and we always have these players, they're tipped to become the next Ryan Giggs or the next Ronaldo. He was mm-hmm. tipped, and I think back then it would have been far a far more accurate description. Now it's very lazy. We say, okay, he's going to be the next Ronaldo. He's going to be the next Messi. It's just a line that's thrown out there. But I think back then, if you were tagged to be the next certain player, I think it's a far more accurate description and far more sort of reliable thing. And he was tipped to become the ne- that next England player who, because Sir Tom Finney was coming to the end of his career. And um, it just goes to show in terms of what we how we value sort of Manchester United youth players coming through, this guy really could have been in the, that top bracket when we look back. Yeah, well, here's a fun a bit of football trivia for you. Uh, David Pegg was an outside left. Now, do you know what position on the football pitch an outside left was? It's one of those ones that you, you hear all these positions and names and you try and draw them up on a board. In my opinion, you're thinking tricky winger out on the left-hand side. But in terms of, I think it was Duncan Edwards in terms, they called him a left half. And you think, okay, where's the left half? And it was kind of in the middle and it's a weird situation. But yeah, outside left, I'm not sure where I'd line that up. Obviously on a board, I'd line that up wide on the left-hand side. But that, that yeah. could very well be left back or left winger, who knows? 
No, you're spot on. Uh, it, it would be what we know now as a left winger. Uh, so just a little bit of fun football trivia for you there. But we also have to remember the the type of players that a winger was back then as well. It wasn't what you're seeing now, the inverted forward, Marcus Rashford, shooting in on goal. It was, you know, go around the outside. And i got to say, I, I would love to have, and I, I know there is some footage out there, but you would have loved to see the way, the sort of pitches these guys played on. Because mm. if you look at footage, even through the 60s, uh, which is only 10 years later, where TV really started taking off. Mate, it's so much mud out there. Like, I just, I, I can't believe they didn't spend half the time on the floor. Yeah, no, definitely. But one of those players, and in terms of that, he also won two league titles from my reading. So, again, at that age, he died at 22 years of age, and he obviously made his debut at 17. To win two league titles now, we draw it to a player like a Marcus Rashford or a Scott McTominay. Be dreaming to even have two trophies, let alone two titles. Um, what he did achieve at that age, so he would have been one who would potentially go on to achieve greatness. But we'll go on to the next player, and in terms of achieving greatness, um, it simply robbed of it. Um, Tommy Taylor, you just have to look at this guy's goal scoring record, Larry 131 goals in 191 games. Now, maths is not my strong point, Larry. However, I'm going to hazard a guess if he continued to play, he would still be our current record goal scorer. In my opinion, reading those numbers, 131 goals in 191 games, he's going on to beat whatever Wayne Rudy's goal scoring record is at the moment. To this day, those who have seen him play will tell you he's the greatest centre forward to ever represent Manchester United. Do you think it's a bit uh, like in terms of we do remember the names more sort of modern and players we do sort of do have watched, but we do see players who we didn't watch, a George Best, a Bobby Charlton, we talk about them. We even talk about a Duncan Edwards. Tommy Taylor should be in this discussion, but he's never actually quite in that discussion. I always think it, I always revert it to Andy Cole in the Premier League. Andy Cole, I think, is the third highest Premier League goal scorer, but he's never put in that discussion with Thierry Henry, Alan Shearer, Wayne Rooney. But in terms of numbers, he really should be. And you do look at Tommy Taylor and what he was achieving. He should be in that discussion, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, his goal record speaks for itself. Can you repeat that record for me? It was 131 goals in 191 appearances, and he was 26 when he passed away. That's so insane. maybe not maybe just coming into his prime now at, at 26 years of age. Yeah, look, I'm going to be with you, Tom. Um, I think should this tragedy not happen, he keeps on playing. You'd have to say just purely based on the numbers, he'd go on. And, and Manchester United at the time, you think you're going to be a dominant team, so they're going to keep creating yeah. chances. You're going to keep scoring goals in a winning team. But one of the interesting facts I found when I was doing my research, this is I love little things like this that come out. But Samat Busby bought him from Barnsley for £29,999. And the reason he did that, as a young player, he didn't want to burden him by putting a £30,000 price tag on him. So I'm just thinking a little thing. Look at the price tag. We're talking $30 million is nothing at the moment. We're talking about £30,000 back then. Still crazy money at the time. But could you can you get your head around that in regards to a manager sort of having that train of thought when signing a player, thinking, if look, if he's going to be worth £30,000, that's a big target on his back. We look at that with a Harry Maguire, what the £80 million does to his um, sort of the perception of him playing, or Paul Pogba at £80 million, how we view him as a footballer. So Matt Busby yeah. is signing a player for a certain price because he doesn't want that target on their back. Yeah, it's it's a funny one, actually. The, the fact that one pound difference saves the tag. But it's true. Like, if you if you think of journalism, no one's going to write Tommy Taylor signed for £29,999. You know what I mean? So, interesting psyche. And clearly it worked because he was a hell of yeah. a goal scorer. 
Yeah, no, definitely. Well, the, the other sort of financial thing I saw with Tommy Taylor when I was reading it was in the same book I was reading that I think this goes to show how fondly sort of Man United was sort of thought about thought about in Europe, but obviously their players. So Matt um, Busby rejected a 65000 bid from Inter Milan for Tommy Taylor. So, so, so we look at these players and how rare it would be for an English player. Now you can count on one hand the, the amount of players, obviously Jaden Sancho, Jude Bellingham. Um, you could say like, like Paul Lintz went into Milan from Manchester United. But not often a player goes from England over to the Serie A or La Liga. It's a very rare occasion. But back then in the 1950s, um, Inter Milan wanted Manchester United strikers. Um. If I can be a bit tongue-in-cheek here, they wanted Romelu Lukaku. That, that was links with Martial. So not much has changed, Tom. No, but I think, yeah, look, yes, tongue-in-cheek, but, but I think it's one of those in terms of Manchester United is the only big, in my obviously Liverpool's a big club, Arsenal's a big club, but no one is on this level in England in regards to the size of the club. Manchester United trumps all the clubs completely. Before we look at another big club, Manchester United are the biggest club in the world. We don't look at England for the second biggest club in the world. We go look in Spain. We look at Italy. In in, my, in our opinion, that's where the other big clubs in European football are. They're not in England. And I just see Inter Milan, whatever their troubles are, are at the moment, those big clubs, AC Milan, Inter Milan, Juventus, Real Madrid, Barcelona, they're the big European clubs. And back then, um, they were throwing in 65,000 bids for Manchester United players. So yeah, I think goes to show how good he was. And yeah, unfortunately, like all these plays, but when you do look at those numbers, unfortunately, just robbed of a unforgettable career of what could have been. But we'll move on to um, Billy Whelan. So obviously, again, 22 years old Billy Whelan was. And he was United's top scorer of the season before. So in the 56-57 season when United, they would have won the league. Yeah, 56-57, they did win the league. He was Manchester United's top scorer. And again, could you imagine now a 22-year-old being Manchester United's top scorer in a league-winning campaign? Oh, unheard of, unheard of. But yeah, it's, um, again, just like you say, it's another one of those tragic stories. Uh, do we know what position he played? I don't have the, um, the, the... The one start I do have, he's obviously the only non-English player, obviously an Irishman, only non-English player to um, dive out of the Manchester United players. So everyone else was sort of real local um, players, but yeah, I assume, I assume it's some type of an attacking position if he's obviously the top goal scorer. Something yeah. I definitely should know. No, no, that, that's all right. But it, it's that's another interesting point you make, Tom. Um, the the flux of Europeans into the Premier League mm. didn't happen for a really long time. I want to say it didn't happen before the nineties, really, before the actual Premier League had begun. So. Just shows um, a lot of local players. And this is why this story was so big. Um, at the time, um, I think it was Stephen House and he released an awesome documentary a couple of years ago. I, I, re I remember it. And I think he spoke about it, like his grandfather would, would run, like they got the news, they'd just hear something. And then they're just running down to Old Trafford trying to hear, like see what's going on. So you got to think as well, the, the thing with this story, there was no social media. You're finding this out. As the news comes in, you're seeing it on the TV, just anything, just people start talking and yeah, I just, I can't imagine, I can't imagine what it would have been as a local fan because all these guys, that's another thing, like these guys were celebrities, but nothing like you're seeing today. They would have seen these players locally. Hmm. They're, they're all that, that's the thing you talk about our need and our thirst for news, whatever that be. For us, yes, Manchester United news. That's transfer news. That's a new new kit. What what's Man United's new kit going to be uh, for results? If you don't see the game, that's what we're so thirsty for is news. But could you imagine now 
a team that we idolise in regards to Manchester United now having to filter through to find news about a team dying in a plane crash. Like that, that, that's a different type of news. We're after superficial things. We're after nothing. But actual hard news like that, if, if you're filtering through social media like that now, it's just crazy. Look, a couple of days ago when we will discuss, I don't want to mention him, but in terms of the news that was filtering through on social media, like it was devastating. And just think that's uh, – I just don't understand. You, you do talk about those – play or Stephen Housen's video – in terms of the local people and how they were trying to go about finding their news and just sad because it's the unknown. Could you imagine if you were a relative or a friend of one of the players or someone who had travelled and you were unable to find out because of the lack of social media, the lack of sort of immediate news, you're down just with the next Tom, Dick and Harry at Old Trafford with you. They know just as much as you and that's your family member or that's your friend. Yeah. Um, real, real tragedy. Real tragedy. We're talking about real tragedy, and look, everyone everyone in this scenario, obviously it's a real tragedy, but we've talked about age, and obviously the youngest player to pass away in the um, communicators after was Eddie Coleman. And um, again, he won two league titles. I don't know when his debut was, but he died at, the, at 21 years of age. But he joined United from school. He joined United's youth team when he left school. And again, won two league titles. So I'm just thinking, I think the big story around Eddie Coleman is just simply he was the youngest player. All these players were far too young, obviously. But when you're the youngest of the, all these players who are far too young, I think this is the one that does stick out for a lot of people. Yeah, of course. Uh, naturally, because it's, you know, likely, if life follows its natural path. Is even, the, even the photo of him, look at it, he, he does look like a boy. I mean, just, yeah, yeah. That, you, that's, not a, that's not a manly figure at all. He's, he still looks very much like a teenager going through adolescence and... Look, he must have had a hell of a lot of talent, that's for sure, because to play for Manchester United. And the other thing that there's no statistic for this, if you played football back then, you had to be tough. It was brutal. The the tackles you see now that people get cards for are laughable. Back then, like I've seen enough footage, Tom, hard studs, there's mud out there, the ball is made out of pigskin. It was a brutal game. And as you can see, he's not a big body, Eddie Coleman. So he would have been one tough player. I think um, also he was one of the stats I did see was he was obviously in the 3-3 draw against Red Star but before the crash. He was one of the goal scorers. I think he scored Man United's second goal. So um, he's one of those players. All these players go down in history, but little ones like that obviously did score before that fateful um, trip back from Belgrade. But um, next play we'll bring up. Again, I, I just look at these stats. I bring up two league titles. Mark Jones, he died again. I don't want to say that he's old because Eddie Coleman was 21, but he seems old compared to that. He's 24 years of age when he did pass. And two league titles. And I just think, again, like you, you look at this guy in terms of his physical build. You do talk about it in terms of needing that physicality. It's a man's game. And this is someone I just look at the photo and think, yeah, this is someone who could handle himself in 1950s football. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you look at... That that's like you said, like you said, very full figure. Um, he has to be a centre half, surely. Well, well, he's one player. One of the bits of reading I said, I don't think in in his earlier days when he was a youth player coming through. I don't know if it sort of stopped when he sort of made his senior debut and came into the senior setup. But he was a player who worked part time as a bricklayer. Played, did his bricklaying, then went off to training, or did his training, then went off to do his bricklaying. I'm just thinking, could you imagine? Obviously, it's not a possibility now, but could you imagine a player? I don't know a Fred or a Marcus Rashford or a Scott McTominay going to a brick lane in the morning then trotting into Carrington at 3 o'clock for a bit, little bit of training. 
Like it's just it's not a possibility. You don't expect that of anyone, but it just goes to show the different lives they did live. Yeah, one hundred percent. Look, like like you said, Mark Jones. I obviously didn't have the pleasure of watching him play, but I'm gonna go out on a limb, Tom, and say he would have been he would have been the enforcer in the team. I'm gonna I'm gonna say he would have been the backbone, the the one that they look to for leadership. You look at him there. I look. I tell you what. I, I wouldn't want to be facing him on the football pitch. Uh, you definitely prefer him on your side, but but he's one of those players. I don't think he made an England appearance, but they said, look, at 24 yeah. years, we're talking about these players being so young, having these huge careers. 24, he still had the whole career. In my opinion, 24 is still a very young player, so he has a whole career ahead of him. And I don't think he had made an England appearance, but he's very much tipped to go on to play for England. I'd be really interested to see what the retirement age was uh, throughout the 50s and the 60s, because I, I can't imagine, like you're seeing now, like the likes of Ronaldo's Latan playing well into their 30s. You'd think back then. I mean, sports medicine has come so yeah. far, as you saw um, in Mark Jones' case, working as well. Yeah. Uh, you think of, and this is and not, of, not just work, not just working an office job, work bricklaying. So he's got a physical job. That's... Tough labor, and I think this shows you back to the point we made on Eddie Coleman. These guys had to be tough. We also have to remember, and as we'll get to when we get to Duncan Edwards, World War Two was around yeah. the corner here. So, well, I'll, I'll bring Duncan Edwards then. I think that's my first point, which I always look back, and funny you mention him, but he's the next player on the list, and we don't want to value Duncan Edwards over the other players, but he is a player that does stand out um, in these discussions. But I remember the one, obviously he didn't die at Munich. Um, obviously he was involved in the crash, but died, I think it was the 21st of February, um, obviously two weeks later in terms of injuries that he did suffer in the crash. And I think the ultimate thing was kidney failure. His kidneys just... Um, couldn't cope. I think the doctors were, all the reports coming, they, were, they thought he was going to go really soon, but he somehow sort of made a sort of miraculous recovery and sort of fought through a really bad stage in the issues he did have with his kidneys. But ultimately, sadly, it did get the better of him. But in terms of you talk about that, there was at one stage in his career that he did play for the Army. He played for the Army and Manchester United at the same time. And there was one season, I don't have the season in front of me, but they said he need on 100 games for both Army, England and Manchester United. And we talk about the players being overloaded now with having to play 50 games. And he, here he is in that type of environment, both the pitches, the type of having to work elsewhere, the, the type of game it was physically in terms of sort of the one-to-one battles that everyone would have had with each other. To be playing 100 games a season, and not only 100 games a season, but getting the reviews that this guy did, that he was simply the best. Yeah, and another one of those players where... Look, you can only go off what those who have seen him play say and all the commentary around him. Sir Alex Ferguson has obviously spoken highly of Duncan Edwards. You have to say with all the commentary that goes on around him, he probably goes down as one of United's greatest, if not the greatest. Um, And obviously, we will talk about Sir Bobby Charlton. Um, But again, another one of those really tragic stories. But I think it shows, and you can speak to the testament of Duncan, where... He fought through diligently uh, to get to the 21st of February. And again, when we talk about sports science, firstly, 100 games back then, I imagine there was no hydrotherapy chamber for him to go into. So he just would have been traditional ice-cold baths, or he simply got up the next day, forgot the bruises, pulled the socks up, and went out again. That is some brutal stuff. Tom, I get sore walking down the road, so... Full credit to Duncan Edwards, obviously. He, he's one, one of those players, that, and you mentioned Sir Bobby Charlton, who we'll get into and we'll sort of quickly touch on the survivors before we do wrap up. 
the episode, but he is one of those players. We talk about who's Manchester United's greatest ever player. Okay, is it Ronaldo? Is it Rooney? Is it Ryan Giggs? Is it Sir Bobby Charlton? And always a little bit of a side note. There's always a little bit of an asterisk, and we say, well, Duncan Edwards as well. I'm, I'm just thinking, where does he? And I said, look, it's a never-ending debate, and there's no correct answer. But how do you fit him into this debate in regards to United's greatest ever players? Because we do look at achievements and stats and numbers, and ultimately he wasn't afforded that opportunity because he did pass away so young. But in terms of the players or the players, the fans, the media who did witness him play, they said he would have been. And I'm just thinking, well, would have, could have, should have. It's a, it's a, it's a tough one, but does he go into that category like without achieving? It's definitely not a criticism of him, obviously. But it's yeah. just weird because we do say Sir Bobby Charlton, we do say Ryan Giggs. But a lot of people back then say, no, this guy was the best. Um, just unfortunately, he didn't get that achievement. Yeah, I mean, even if you're not saying Duncan Edwards doesn't go down as a legend, these guys are all legends in terms of the club. You know what I mean? So, yes, maybe not a legend in the sense of didn't go on to achieve an exponential amount of honours, didn't go on to make a whole lot of appearances, but that was something out of their control. The other thing we have to remember this group of players here were spoken about as the best team in world football at the time. There was a strong belief that these group of players were going to dominate Europe for the best part of a decade. And you look at their ages, they it's fair to say they likely would have. Um, United, I think United went on this season uh, to finish ninth. I'm certain they were sitting top of the league before this happened. What we, you look at what we thought, and we're very proud of Manchester United's three Champions League or three European Cups, but you do look at what Real Madrid got. They got 12 or 13. Unfortunately, yeah. Liverpool have six now. But you, you look at Real Madrid's 13, whatever they have, five of those came back-to-back in this period. And you just think, well, if United had, had that team, well, it could have been United who won five or six titles within a decade. And then suddenly we're looking, instead of three Champions League titles, we're sitting on maybe eight or ten titles. And it, it's yeah. just one of those ones, unfortunately, what could have been. But we'll, we'll move on. Anything else? Actually, just a last thing on Duncan Edwards before we move on to the survivors and sort of how it did shape Manchester United. Um, you mentioned earlier in terms of the celebrity and these players are a part of the community and compared to the detachment we have from players now. But this is always an iconic photo. When I'm doing my sort of research and sort of thinking about Munich, this photo always pops up at Duncan Edwards. I forget which game it was. Um, I should know. Um, I think it might be before Arsenal when they played Arsenal. Um, I think it might be at Highbury. I forget. But obviously signing something for a little kid before the game. And it's just an iconic photo. One, it goes to show the stature of Duncan Edwards against the kid. He does look like a man, but obviously Duncan Edwards was quite young at that time. But um, just that photo, just something about it for me. So we talked about the other day that Solskjaer, seen a photo of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer smiling, makes you happy. Something about this photo just says Manchester United to me. Yeah, I think it just shows a a local lad making time for another local fan who's looking up to him. You know, like like we do now when we grew up, we looked at a lot of these footballers and thought of them as heroes. And mm. clearly, this is a young man himself being 20, how was he 21 years of age, Duncan Edwards? And yeah, Duncan Edwards was 21, yeah. And then you've got a young man, like at 21, he's clearly a role model to someone already. You know what yeah. I mean? When I was 21, I was out getting drunk at the pub. So it just speaks to the man that Duncan Edwards was. And it, like you said, it is everything that is Manchester United. Yeah, no, I always look back at that photo. Um, maybe some I should maybe get printed off and put it up behind me. I think it is an iconic part of Manchester United history. But speaking about Manchester United history, Larry, we'll, we'll move on. And you know, we obviously pay our respects and they're always in our hearts thinking about those players who passed away and not even the players, as I said, all the other people who did pass away in Munich. However, 
such a big part of this story and the Munich story and Busby Babes and everything is the future and what Manchester United went on to do and how they sort of sort of rose from the ashes and came on to achieve greatness 10 years later. And just one of these quotes in terms of sadly one of the almost the forgotten men around, old, not around Old Trafford, but around the story of Manchester United. You do look at this and we remember Sir Matt Busby, we remember Duncan Edwards, we remember Sir Bobby Charlton, we remember George Best 10 years later. The main, not the main man, everyone plays a huge and important role, but Jimmy Murphy, obviously the role he played in the aftermath of this. And there's a quote here. And as I said, this quote, I don't know how accurate it is. It is from the movie um, United. Obviously, a lot of people have seen that movie United where it's about the Munich air disaster. But a lot of reports suggest, suggest that this quote is quite accurate. And I just want to read it to you. And Larry, this was 30 years before I was born. So obviously, when I started supporting Manchester United, I didn't know about this quote. Then I started supporting Manchester United. But now I look back at it and I think this is solely the reason I support Manchester United. And I, there's a bit of a comparison to the modern day now, but I'll quickly just read it out. So this is Jimmy Murphy was when he was speaking to the English Football League and what they wanted to do to, do to Manchester United because obviously we couldn't field a team. They all sort of wanted to disband Manchester United as a football club. And Jimmy Murphy sort of fought really hard in Manchester United's corner saying, no, we're going to come back from this. You have to stick with us. These players are going to come back. And he said, it's not about their memory. It's about showing who we are to the world, showing we will not be bowed by tragedy because how we are in the future will be founded on how we behave today. And the way those players did come back, whether the players who didn't suffer sort of life-threatening injuries, they came back and played very soon. Obviously, the game against Sheffield Wednesday in the FA Cup and went on to sort of feature throughout the remaining games of the season. But both staff and players, the way they got Manchester United back on its feet... That is the huge, obviously a very sad part of Munich is the players and the people who did pass away. But the huge part of the story for me is that in terms of how they did act, how they got back up on their feet and the way they did behave. I think that is why I support Manchester United. When you do look back and research, these are the things that make Manchester United what they are. Yeah, absolutely. I think the easy route and look, Jimmy Murphy, you can go back and just look at what all so many great players and what they've had to say about Jimmy Murphy, um, who's rightfully getting a statue built outside Old Trafford, it should be said. Uh, but I, I think you're right. I think the easy thing to do for the club at the time would have been to say, look, we'll, we'll take whatever players we can get. And look, at the end of the day, we always sit here and say, all that matters is winning trophies. United made a decision that day that said, actually, we're going to focus on what our identity is. And that's taking the high road. That's showing what Manchester United's about. This, and this is why I always, and I'm going to, I know I sound like a broken record here. This is why when we talk about why is it so important for United to blood through the youngsters? Why don't we just go and pay 200 million every season and sign Haaland and Mbappe and Lionel Messi and whoever else? This talks to why Manchester United is the club it is. This is why you play the youth players. This is why we've got a long-standing record for a, a local academy product in the matchday squad. The decisions made back then by Jimmy Murphy and Sir Matt Busby, which we will get to, form what Sir Alex then goes on to do, forms what our opinions are of local players coming through. And that's the thing that we have to remember. So i got to say, yes, it could have been easy to say, let's put a strong field out, a, st a strong squad out there. But at the end of the day, like we said in the last episode, funnily enough, the aim should always be to play with local kids. Because when you play do you with think local that, kids... Do you think you looking at me, not as an outsider, as obviously a Manchester United fan, but just you yeah. looking at me as a Manchester United fan, do you think I am, I don't want to say guilty of it, but a culprit of that insane, let's say, Scott McTominay? 
let's say Scott McTominay gets Paul look Paul Pogba's probably not the greatest example because he's a youth team product. Um, we, we seem to forget. Let's but let's take Paul Pogba the world record transfer signing coming into Manchester United. Mm. If I'm going to choose between one or two, yes, Paul Pogba's a better footballer, but I choose Scott McTominay. And then do you think that is but based off little things like this, and not that Munich's a little thing, but looking back at the history of Manchester United, I'm sort of invested in that way of thinking, and that's why I choose the so-called lesser player. I know a lot, a lot of people don't like that term, but obviously Paul Pogba is an amazing footballer, but in a mm. preference, I do choose a player like Scott McTominay, even if it's at the not detriment of the team. But do you know what I mean? Am I guilty yeah, of that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, no, not necessarily guilty. I take your point. I think when we're talking about Manchester United and this is what, it's the same thing you expect of a fan. Like we said at the start, what you expect of a fan is what you expect of a player. The way Bruno Fernandes talks about the history of Manchester United. He's a bloke who grew up in Portugal. He has no reason or right or excuse to even need to understand Manchester United's history. It's a business. It's a company he works for. He goes there. He does his job to the best of his ability. Ender Herrera is another one who embraced Manchester United's history. Juan Mata, another one who embraced Manchester United's history. When you're looking for a player, and I think the reason you take this with Paul Pogba, now look, Paul Pogba might really value the history of Manchester United, but I, I understand it's, it's, you look at Scott McTominay, he's a local product, but it's how he plays. He plays with a hardness. He plays with a passion. He plays like he's going to give 100% every week. Um, and look, John O'Shea wasn't the most technically gifted footballer I've ever seen on a football pitch. I'll take John O'Shea over Eric Bailly most days. Now, I think Eric Bailly is a more talented footballer, but John O'Shea just understood what it meant to be Manchester United. Yeah, definitely. But, but just going back to that quote before we move on, because um, we do sort of want to wrap this up before the hour mark. So it's about 15 minutes left, but hopefully everyone is enjoying this uh, very much. I'm enjoying the chat. While sometimes it's hard to chat about things like this, it is always good to look back. So I am truly enjoying it, Larry. But just in regards to that quote, in regards to how we behave today, I don't want to bring his name into it, but we do know the news surrounding Manchester United at the moment. And the way the club did act then in making bold decisions in terms of the future for the club, I want it, and it's a very different club now. This is corporate, this global entity. But I do want to see Man United take that stance now. Whatever action that is, they have to take the right action and take it immediately. Now, it's a very different situation, but that is where Manchester United were built back then. Like the foundations were laid. They need to continue. Yeah, of course. I think we've seen Sir Alex talk about it, and there was a small touch Solskjaer made when he came in. Um, under Jose, the players wore tracksuits to the football matches. The first thing Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did was he goes, no, we wear suits. You're representing Manchester United. And he got he got the old badge on. He got them in the blazers. He got them all fitted. They're, like we say, I, I don't I, – I truthfully, maybe I'm naive. Maybe we're too passionate. And, but if I am too passionate, let me be guilty of that. I think as a football fan and as a player who plays for this club, it is an honor. It really is. You're paid top dollar. You're paid a high amount of money. It's a special club with a special history. Respect the history that's gone before you. Respect the heritage that has gone before you. And you do that by not just being a good footballer, but by being an example of a human being. We just spoke about Duncan Edwards there. 21 years of age. He had every right to be arrogant. He had every right to not sign the autograph. Instead, he's playing with the army. He's playing for Manchester United. And he's being a role model to a young man. Yeah, no, definitely. Well said. And speaking of role models, um, obviously going on to the survivors, this is someone we've spoken about in the past. And often, like I just said with Jimmy Murphy, sadly sometimes a forgotten man in Munich and sadly only passed away a couple of years ago, but often regarded as the hero of Munich and Harry Gregg. 
and here with the Man United Supporters Club in New South Wales, we've obviously done one or two things with him. He sent us one or two video mess uh, video messages, and when when Harry Gregg was there and saying thank you for the support, like hearing from a Manchester United legend and forget Manchester United legend, we're just going to talk about him as a person at the moment, Larry. When you hear from a legend like that, it gave us goosebumps all here in Sydney um, at the Supporters Club. But Harry Gregg, look, talk about goalkeeping and his career. Obviously, great goalkeeper in his own rights. Just the story in regards to he was obviously one of the survivors, but he was in the crash. And the stories that you always hear that um, came out about Harry Green in terms of he was he ran back into the plane to save a lady and pregnant child, um, a pregnant lady, sorry, and a child. I'm just thinking we can sit here and put on a brave face and puff our chest out and say we will if we found ourselves in tough circumstances we'll act like this or we'll do the right thing until you're in a situation and God forbid we're never in a situation like that but until you're in a tough and life and death situation when everything goes out the window you don't know how you'd act you'd like to think you act in the right way and do the right thing and be brave but it's very easy to say that. I think a lot of people, and not to criticise people, but a lot of people would cower away. And cower away is not the right, right the term, the right term. But they won't be able to show the the bravery that Harry Harry Greg did display by going back into the plane and pulling people out as it was burning. No, of course not. I, I think ninety nine percent of people would be running for their lives, getting out of that plane and just worrying about themselves. And I, I don't, as awful as this sounds, you couldn't really blame them because you're yeah. in a you're in a really stressful situation. You're not thinking clearly. So, again, the, the temperament of Harry Gregg, and I mean this in the most respectful way, maybe that's why he was a goalkeeper. Mm. Goalkeepers have to remain calm, Tom. They can't buckle under pressure. So maybe maybe that's why he was a goalkeeper, Harry Gregg. Uh, he had the calmness and the composure to not just think about himself. In the most selfless act he probably performed in his life, to go in there and, and rescue a pregnant woman and a child, that for me makes a legend. You can forget anything else about football accolades, man. Football is just a game at the end of the day. Yes, it's this thing we love so much. But that you can win all the Premier League titles in the world, what Harry Gregg did, that, that's a true champion. Yeah, I think it's one of those things, if you are listening to this and enjoying it, obviously, and you don't know too much about the Harry Gregg story, just go back, just Google Harry Gregg, and there's a few books out there. It is well worth a story because, yes, Manchester United is important, but him as a person, some of the stuff that he did do, um, truly inspirational, but obviously we'll sort of finish the podcast on sort of two people who were um, eventually knighted after Munich in terms of Sir Matt Busby and Sir Bobby Charlton. We'll, I don't know where to start. We'll start on Sir Matt and we'll try and keep this short and sharp. And again, when we have these debates, there's no correct answer. It's up for interpretation and we're definitely not going to play one against the other. But here we are. We're going to have a debate because we're a football um, channel, a few fans having a debate. So Matt Busby, look, first of all, before we get into Sir Alex, but Sir Matt Busby, just his achievements, obviously a survivor of the crash himself, but obviously then going on to manage, not not, not just manage a Champions League winning team or a European Cup winning team and sort of building a team, um, sort of back from the ashes type thing, but in the way that he did. Like, okay, let's not criticise, but let's say Pep Guardiola. If he's going to rebuild a team, you know how he's going to rebuild a team. He's going to go and splash the cash, and rightly so. But the way Sir Matt Busby did it in terms of in integrating the youth players, um, an achievement that you, you just can't get your head around how special the achievement was that he did um, do. Yeah, 100%. Look, like I said, you, you can debate around what sort of legend is Sir Matt Busby. Where do you rank him in terms of Sir Matt Busby versus Sir Alex Ferguson? wouldn't even say versus. It's not the right word. In comparison with Sir Alex Ferguson, whichever way you sit, I don't think there's a, there's not a Sir Alex Ferguson 
if there's not Sir Matt Busby. I think Sir mm. Matt Busby sets Manchester United to be the club that they are, and Sir Alex Ferguson's probably the cherry on top. I think it's – I never really thought of it in regards to that way. I always thought – and I don't pick sides in the argument, but it's always how do I in terms of, okay, what's what's the better achievement? Is it Sir Alex's numbers and his longevity and sort of the, the absolute success? You do just look at the numbers. Or do you value success in regards to what Sir Matt, Sir Matt Busby did and the – sort of the issues or the troubles that he did have to sort of overcome. And it's hard, but it's almost one of those ones where you can just put together they're almost the same same person, same manager, and they're just a continuation of the job. It may, maybe Sir Alex Ferguson would have done a similar thing back then and Sir Matt Busby would have done a similar thing if he came along in the 80s and 90s because um, obviously very similar traits, uh, very yeah. similar people um, from all reports. So just one of those ones. Like I was going to ask you the question, but I think we pretty much just answered it there. Who would, if you had to, if you rank one above the other? It, it, there's just no correct answer. It's hard to argue. Like if you're playing a game, I would maybe just go for Alex, just because I, I personally witnessed it. But yeah. in terms of the work, the work that Smart Busby did, Man- Manchester United is not the club without him. No, they're not. They're not. I think. It's really interesting. I think Sir Matt Busby sets the platform for what Manchester United is today. He's the one who sets the roots, I think. You know, I think that's the right way to put it. Like Sir Alex Ferguson turns Manchester United from the sleeping giant into this global juggernaut. Uh, so both, you have to say, both played such a role in building Manchester United. I just think Sir Matt took Manchester United from, you know, what our identity more or less, Sir Alex Ferguson embedded that identity and obviously saw the success that took the club to obviously what it is today. No, definitely well said. And we'll, we'll finish on, again, maybe a similar topic in, okay, who's United's greatest ever legend, but we'll throw the name in there. And again, a survivor of Munich. Um, a lot of people will discuss the players who passed away. But so Bobby Charlton was a um, survivor. He was a young player at the time, a young man at the time, who did survive the crash. And before we get into his achievements and um, what he sort of went on to achieve and where we rank him amongst Manchester United greats. Again, just the story around that in terms of having to come back and play football after you've seen your friends and your teammates pass away in those circumstances where you visibly see it. I'm just thinking that these are one of the things we're going to talk about him as a footballer and what he achieved, but he had to be a footballer and achieve those things off the back of what he's witnessed. And I couldn't imagine if I had a bad day at work or something like that ruins my day and I sort of it changes my outlook on the rest of the day or the rest of the week and I'm just thinking this guy didn't let it get to it like obviously it would have got to him but to achieve greatness off the back of that I think it goes to show how special he was on and off the pitch yeah for sure I want to be careful with what I say here I don't want to come across as disrespectful or to downplay mental health but I think, well, not even think, I think they, these guys, it was a different time, Tom. Yeah. I think that these sorts of players, what Sir Bobby saw, if that happened today, I'm telling you, that person would be an absolute mess. Yeah. An absolute mess. So I think all the it, people, it uh, what we're talking about Sir Bobby, but yes, all the people, all the survivors, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. But I think, you know, the fact that he, yeah, with, with all the survivors, of course, just in the context of Sir Bobby, to come back, be part of the rebuild. And I think it's 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 almost poetic the fact that he's he's the one there when Manchester United win the Champions League or what would have been known as the European Cup in 1968. Like you honestly can't write it. It's 
Well, I just want to read these things off in regards to what we talk about Ryan Giggs and the most decorated footballer in Manchester United history, and does that make him the greatest? I just want to – and what defines a legend, okay, is Wayne Rooney. Some people still question Wayne Rooney. Is he a legend? Um, It's a weird one with some players, but I just want to rattle some of the things off with Bobby Chart before we wrap up. Um, In regards to – He's almost the almost he's untouchable when you do look at this. He's obviously a youth player, so an important part of Manchester United's history coming through that youth system into the senior team. So that's the first tick of the box that he's the youth player come through and developed into a senior footballer. Survived Munich. So that's not to discredit those who didn't survive Munich, but a huge sort of blow to his life. He survived that. He saw the other side. He then got went on to represent England, won the World Cup with England. No other England teams have won the World Cup, but he was part of that team and a crucial part of that England World Cup winning team. Two years later, wins the Champions League. And that's not, not just winning the Champions League 10 years later. It's those 10 years building up that have won yeah. the Champions League coming back. But he ca- captained Manchester United to win the Champions League in 1968. Goes on to become Manchester United's leading goal scorer at the time. Unbelievable. And he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't really a striker. <laughs> he sort of played central midfield and just bombed forward as he liked. And Man United's top goal scorer. And also, at the time, as all Man United's leading appearance record holder. So at, now, obviously, Ryan Giggs took over the appearances and, and Wayne Rooney took over the goal-scoring record. But that those records lasted until what, so, um, Ryan Giggs was 2008. And I think Wayne Rooney's goal-scoring record was 2016-17 era. So those records lasted for a lifetime. And I'm just thinking, again, I don't want to verse people against each other and sort of rank legends, but if you are to put who is Manchester United's greatest ever legend, greatest ever na- name. In my opinion, if you are playing a game and having a rank them, it has to be Sir Bobby Charlton when you do rattle off those things that you did achieve. Can we add one at Ballon d'Or? Yeah, all, all those things are in there. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, the accolades don't end. Like, you're right. I think when you're talking about, how, you know, what defines a legend, I think all those players you've mentioned are legends of Manchester United. But Sir Bobby, you look at what he achieved, like you said, a local a local product, everything he achieved in the game, what he overcame in the game, th- that is the definition of a legend. You know, I, I it would take a whole lot. I mean, it's not to say what's a legend. It's how do you outdo Sir Bobby? Good luck. I think Just, one of the things, and I saw it pop up yesterday, um, yeah. watching Manchester United, it's an image that will always stick with me. Um, obviously, we talked about it at the start of the, start of the episode that 50 years anniversary um, against Manchester City. Well, later that season, obviously the 50 year anniversary, United went on to win the Champions League um, in Moscow, and Sir Bobby Charlton was on stage with them getting the medals. They, they obviously Sir Alex Ferguson took him up there, and Cristiano Ronaldo's up there, and he gives Sir Bobby Charlton a hug up on stage when they're collecting the trophy. And I'm just thinking sometimes the poetry at Manchester United, obviously I opened the podcast with a poem, but sometimes that poetry and the sort of symmetry and sort of the narratives around it, um, they fit Manchester United perfectly. Yeah. Look, Manchester United is a poem in itself. The, the story of this club is a, a rich one. There's, there's, it's, it's got everything in it. And that's what I love mm. about the club, you know, and this is, I know it's, it's not Manchester City's fault that they got bought by rich owners, um, you know, who happen to be, well, rich country state, I should say. But ultimately, this is what makes this club so special for me as a fan. It's, you look at the history, it's got everything in it. It's got youth products, it's got tragedy, it's got success, it's got jubilation. There is everything you need for the perfect story that is Manchester United. And I think, like I said, this is what makes this club so special. 
Well, I think it's a perfect way to finish up because I think it might be Sir Bobby Charlton. I've heard him say, I'm not sure who came up with um, the quote in regards to Manchester United, but let's say it's Sir Bobby Charlton for the sake of this, saying he said Manchester United is the greatest story ever told. And that, that continues back from then, from Newton Heath days to Munich to the story now. No matter how bad we are, there's always an amazing feeling around Manchester United, whether that be good or bad. It is a great story. So um, I think, look, Larry, while a tough podcast in regards to you don't want to be talking about things like this, I kind of find it enjoyable when I do look back and talk about it. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, these guys should be celebrated. We don't have to look back and say, you know, this is tragedy. We should all be sad and dwell on it. Let, let's celebrate these guys. Let, let's celebrate th- these men and what they achieved, what they could have achieved, the people they were. Like we've said, throughout going through that list of the of the casualties, we're able to identify some really tragic stories, but some stories around what good men some of those were. You, the story of Harry Gregg is enough for me. Like if that was the only thing that came out of the Munich air, air disaster, like that's such a story in itself that we have yeah. to say, wow, you know what I mean? So... Like I said, it should be something that should be celebrated. In the tragedy, we, we find a positive. No, 100%. But hopefully everyone did enjoy this and get something out of it. And as we said at the start of the podcast and throughout, um, obviously a lot of people know a lot more about Munich than us, but even people who who do always go back and research, especially this time of year, and just going through this, some of the things I've thought of, I think oh, I really should know that, so it gives me motivation sort of go back and research a little bit more. So um, if anyone... Yeah, just hopefully does sort of take this as inspiration to go and pick up a book or go and have a Google or something on YouTube to find out more, especially this time of year, because as I said, it's the most important date in Manchester United's calendar. So I urge everyone to go and do their little bit, because as I said, it's part of being a Manchester United fan. It's not just about supporting the team on the pitch or buying the latest kit or hoping we do well. It's about remembering um, those who did pass away back then. So hopefully everyone did enjoy it. Larry, it has been an absolute pleasure. If um, you did enjoy it, um, please hit the like button. That would be very um, much appreciated. And if you are new, um, it would be great if you could subscribe. Um, until then, Larry, um, always a pleasure. Um, really enjoyed that. And we'll chat to you next time. Yeah, pleasure, mate. Cheers. Cheers, mate.